So I was in the happiest place on earth, uh, Disney World, <clears throat> truly the happiest place on earth. But I, I wasn't having a super happy moment. I had some issues, um, some difficulties that I was dealing with because uh, the first issue was I was all alone <clears throat> and I was trying to navigate uh, an escalator um, and I had no supervision. I had no siblings. I had no parents with me. The second issue is I was two years old. <clears throat> so you could see the problem that I had in this scenario. I was an early walker, like seven months old, I'm walking. So I'm in Disney World <clears throat> and I, um, I had found my way um, away from my parents. What I didn't know as a two-year-old, which I do know now as a dad, is that as you grow older, as you become a dad, you start to get interested in plaques and reading plaques and things and finding the, <laughs> the history of things. And you start, you see a plaque and you, you almost can't, you can't do anything about it. You're drawn to it. And you're like, I must, I must read this information. So my dad <clears throat> was in charge of the baby, which was me, the two-year-old. Um, and he had me in his arms, <clears throat> but he got absorbed in a plaque. It can be understood. Um, and I found my way out of his arms <clears throat> and I was gone. And so my parents had that wonderful moment that a lot of parents have where mom turns to husband and says, hey, where's the baby? And he says, I don't know. Do you have the baby? I don't have the baby. And so then they freak out. <clears throat> but luckily they found a, a man who looked very upset carrying a two-year-old boy that was unsupervised at an escalator in Disney World and put him together with the screaming parents. And the two are reunited <clears throat> and happy uh, to be back together. I didn't learn my lesson because the next year I wandered away in Disney World, the Dumbo ride, got my head stuck through bars <clears throat> and the Disney <clears throat> personnel had to assist. I had a pretty large head, still have a large head, but the kid side he size head was also large, could get my head through the bars, could not extract my head out of the bars without assistance. <clears throat> so those are the two, my two uh, experiences of Disney World both of them getting away from my parents, um, leaving their side, and finding myself in a whole lot of trouble. <clears throat> we are currently in a vision series, and tonight we're gonna talk about what our participation is in this life with God piece. Um, and we're gonna talk about a word, uh, abide. And simply that word has some deep, beautiful meanings, but simply means to remain with, to stay. The very thing I was not able to do, did not do with my parents. Um, and in our vision series, we are looking at the life of Jesus and we look when he came into earth, he modeled life with God, life with his father. He stayed connected to his father. He lived with him on earth. Everything that he did came from that place of connection with his father. And then he stepped into life with each other. He built a community centered around his leading, his teaching, his life. And then they didn't stay there as a community. They moved out into lights in the world and they took the beauty of the life that Jesus brought, and they moved it out into the darkness, into the hurting world, um, where they were operating, where Jesus brought the reality of the kingdom of God to bear on the broken world that he stepped into. And so, that takes us to John 15, verses four and five. If you could turn there, we're gonna see this word abide. We're gonna talk about what this means. We're gonna talk about what we do in light of it. Um, and we're gonna talk about the foundation of abiding. <clears throat> so, if you got your Bibles, or your tablet or phone, John 15, four through five, thank you so much, Lauren, for reading it for us. I'm gonna read it again. <clears throat> Jesus says, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, 
unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we have that word abide. It simply means to remain, to stay with, Um, And it has even a deeper meaning. It's kind of the verb form of home, of living. So a lot of people translate, make your home in me. Another awkward way to say it would be to put it in a verb, to home in Jesus. I'm gonna home in Jesus, or I'm gonna live in Jesus. It has a connotation of staying, remaining, waiting, all the things I did not do when my dad was reading that plaque and I was out of there. Jesus is saying, I am your life source. I am everything that you need and everything I'm gonna call you to do as my follower hinges on whether you will remain in me, whether you will stay with me, whether you will stay close, whether you will be there to receive my love and then have something to give to the world. You will have fruit to bear because in me there's life. So we read again, abide in me and I in you. The concept of abiding can be hard to understand because it doesn't feel, for most of us, it doesn't feel very concrete. Um, But I think what Jesus is wanting to convey to us is this, this reality of abiding is just that. It's an actual spiritual reality he intends for us to experience as his followers. He intends for us to experience a real spiritual reality, but in explaining it, Jesus did what he normally does. He gave imagery. What we typically want, especially from our context, we like the data and we like the, we can follow the points from here to there. We typically like that. But Jesus typically gave imagery. He gave story and he gave pictures. And here he gives a picture. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you. Unless you abide in me, unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I am I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. And he makes this striking statement, which we most of the time don't believe in function and practice. Apart from me, you can't do anything. Nothing. You can't do anything. He's making, giving us this imagery of imagining what's, Great for us is we got a fig tree that we put in our yard about five years ago and it exploded. Um, And we get to see if a branch gets off of that fig tree, it's just a matter of time, but it turns a dry brown and starts to die. And no fruit is coming from that tree. It's common sense because there's no way to get the nutrients into that branch so then a fig can start to sprout off of that. And Jesus is making that imagery that without abiding in me, You can't do anything. But we have a problem because he's giving us a command. He is telling us to do something. He's saying, you have to abide. He knew we needed his life and power and we need him to do anything he commands. So what is our participation? We're talking about this life with God peace and as we've gone through 
this vision series, we've talked about and we've stayed in this life with God peace because we really believe if we, as we move into life with each other, how we operate as a church and as you move into how we step out of the world and be lights, be vehicles of the kingdom of God, everything hinges on living life with God. So we've stayed in this place and realized that everything has to come from him. He is the source of our life and our ability to step into that. And so then he's telling us to abide it can be hard to understand what our participation is with it. And in my life, what I've experienced is I've read this verse, I've believed that, yeah, apart from you, Jesus, I know that I can't do anything. So, so honestly, for a lot of my Christian life, that's led to passivity of pursuing God, of lack of pursuing God. And there's a quote by a guy named Dallas Willard that takes this very verse and he says, quote, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we can also be sure that if we do nothing, it will be apart from Jesus. This is why he tells us to abide in him as he abides in the Father. Abiding is the source, is our source of love, joy, peace, and all of our fruitfulness. But when we look at this concept of abiding, it can be difficult for us to find the concrete nature of what what is Jesus asking us or inviting us into? But like with everything else that Jesus invites us into, the beautiful thing is that he models it before us. There's great news that he doesn't ask us to do anything that, we, that he hasn't done before us. So if you can go to the next slide, I'm gonna, we're gonna look at a verse. It's John 14, 10. <clears throat> and it says, do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is me, in, in me. These, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. That word dwell, it says, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. It's the same word in the Greek that Jesus, is, Jesus uses for abide. He is letting us know that he went before us to live this same type of life. And then listen to these words in John 5, uh, 19. Jesus says, very truly I tell you. That's Jesus' way of saying, listen to what I'm about to say is, is really true. You're gonna have to believe me. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. And doesn't that sound similar when Jesus says to his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's telling them just chapters before, the son can do nothing of himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. So he, in all that he did, in all of his ministry, is modeling a life of abiding in the Father, and he's inviting us into that same life. And so we can look at Jesus' life, and we can see not only the fruit of abiding, but we can also see the lifestyle of Jesus and, and what he put into place in his life that enabled him to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the constant presence of his father, receiving the love of his father. Because later in John 15, we're going to look at it. Jesus equates abiding in him. He, he also says, abide in my love. For him, it's the same thing. Abiding in him for us as followers of Jesus who've received salvation and life with God. He is saying he wants us to live, to make our home in his love for us. That's his desire. And then he says, without that, you can't do anything that I'm asking you to do. You cannot bear fruit. And it's the Father's will, his desire, that his people would bear fruit. 
that it would glorify God, that, that the people of Jesus would reflect the kingdom of God by the way that they live. And he is saying so clearly that without my love flowing through you on an ongoing, regular basis, you can be really active, you can do a lot of stuff, but there will be no eternal real fruit. And he's being very stark with it, but he's also saying, this is how he lived. This is how he lived with the Father. There's a quote on the next slide by an author named Ron Block. He says, Jesus lived in abiding dependence and the Spirit of God powered his humanity. He became one of us so we could become like him, living and walking in union relationship with God. Jesus modeled this life of strength through dependence on his Father. He modeled abiding and staying with his Father, receiving his Father's love. And we can look back and we see the fruit of that. We can see the fruit of that life. And then he's saying, and he's inviting us, as we look and recognize that we need God's life within us, that he wants the same type of life for us. Randy, a couple weeks ago, talked about it so beautifully of partaking and participating. That's what God wants for us. First, he wants us to partake of the same love that Jesus was receiving when he was on earth. And then he wants us to participate in the same work that Jesus did on earth. And this is the, what, what Jesus is talking about in abiding. Jesus does it first and he invites us into it through him. Then we see um, when we look at the life of Jesus, it can be hard um, because we're still seeing, okay, he's abiding. But what's great is we can look at the way that he lived and we can start to see some of the things that he put into place and understand how Jesus was intentional in the way that he lived. And maybe that could be instructive for us on what are the pathways for us to abide in an ongoing basis to live in the love of God. So what we all want is an exhaustive list of the things we need to check off so that we live in this beautiful, peaceful, life-giving reality and that if we do these certain things, that'll happen. And there's no exhaustive list, but there are very clear foundational things that we see Jesus stepping into when he was on earth that we can look at and we can say that if he needed that, if Jesus needed that, maybe I do too. So we can go to the next slide. Um, I'm gonna list off five of these. Again, it's not exhaustive, but these are some of the things that were primary in the way that Jesus lived his life. Prayer, Luke 5, 15 through 16. This is a striking passage. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So Jesus has this ministry going where everybody's getting healed. And the demands on his life and his ministry are only increasing. His popularity is exploding. And we have this amazing scene in Luke, 15, Luke 5 where the crowds are coming to him and this simple line at the end, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and pray. And then I think myself, and I think if Jesus needed that on an ongoing, often basis, to live in the love of his father and to then give away what he was giving away, I think that I probably need that as well. I think I probably need those things in place in my life. 
And we can move on to the next one, silence and solitude. There's a quote, a guy named Richard Foster. Our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. I don't know if y'all feel that, but I feel that. I feel that really strongly. I feel like so much of the, the things I want God to do through my life are, are conquered and absorbed by the busyness of my soul. Not just the busyness of what I'm doing, but there's just the, the consumption of thing after thing after thing, and I never have time to stop. I never find to have the time where I'm actually alone with my father. There's another scripture in Matthew 14, 23, after he fed the 5,000. It says, after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Just another example. Not only prayer, not only communion with his father, but he got alone. He needed, there was, there was a lot of people coming to him. He needed that space where he was alone. He was there just with his father, just he and his father. And we can also look at how Jesus engaged in community. He didn't stay on a mountain. What's so beautiful about the life of Jesus is he didn't stay on the mountain alone to pray with the Father. He did that. He built his life around those things. And so he stayed on the mountain alone to pray, but he didn't stay there. He came back down to engage with his disciples, to lead them, to step out into the hurting, into the broken, and bring healing and bring the good news of the gospel. But he needed both. He was doing the ministry, but he needed that time alone with his Father. And we also see, going to the next slide, scripture. Matthew 4, 4, um, it's a beautiful scene where the chapter before Jesus had been baptized. And if y'all know the story, Jesus came up out of the water and the voice of the Father came and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is before Jesus did any ministry. This is before he stepped into anything um, where he could claim some great work. Uh, the, the Father speaks his love over him. But immediately after that, he the, it says the spirit of the Lord drew him out into the wilderness. And this is where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted by the devil. And when he encountered the devil and the devil was trying to make him question, God says, you're my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Satan comes to him, if you are the son of God, make these stones into bread and listen to Jesus's response. He answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So these scriptures lived in Jesus. You can see that he had prioritized knowing the written word of God and he relied in his weakest moments away, tempted in the death dances were bad. Um, if we wanna look at them, he relied on what he knew was true from scripture. So we can see that breaking in to his life, knowing that scripture was foundational for him to know. But the problem is when we list out things like this and we can look at the life of Jesus and we say, okay, Jesus is our model, right? He abided with the Father. He, lived, he made his home in the love of the Father and he's inviting us into the same thing and we look at the life of Jesus. It's so easy for us to move into that same thing, that list mode, where we, what we want is the five practices to make me a better me. 
We want the things to put in place. Okay, so if I pray, if I go get alone, if I read scripture, if I live in community, everything will be great and everything will be perfect. The problem is prayer doesn't transform us. Scripture doesn't transform us. Community doesn't transform us. Even obedience doesn't transform us. It's God himself that transforms us. It's God himself that transforms us. And we enter into these things, and we organize our lives around these things because it is getting us into the presence of God. If we do all of those things and God is not there and he is not present, there is no transformation. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says it of when our, when our eyes are opened and we behold the glory and beauty of Jesus, we're transformed from one degree of glory to the other. This comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So when I think about these disciplines we walk in, it's, I think it's important to note that the spiritual disciplines aren't abiding. Abiding is a thing. Abiding is a place that Jesus invites us to live in so that we can receive on an ongoing basis the love of God. But these things that we put into our place, in place in our lives, are only to bring us into the presence of God so we can start to receive his love. It's the simple promise that Jesus gave that if you seek, you'll find. If you seek, you'll find. And he's inviting us to step into that same life. The way that's helpful for me to think about putting these things into place, if you go to the next slide, um, as I thought about this, is like a wind turbine. These things that are sitting in fields out there. When we, when we put these things into practice in our life and we, we realize that we can't do anything apart from Jesus and we need him so desperately, we start to put these things into a place in our lives, but a wind turbine is no use if the wind isn't blowing. It's another place where Paul tells Ephesians believers, he commands them to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So we ask, how do we, how do we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we see how Jesus put into his life these, these places and practices where if we don't step into these things, if we don't seek God and if our, our life isn't order, organized around finding him and being filled with him, the wind may be blowing, but if there's nothing up to catch the wind, there's no power. There's no life filling us. There's no love filling us. The wind may be there and it is there because Jesus, God, promises us his love. He wants to give us his love. He wants us to know it and he wants us to live from it. But if we hold to the old ways of operating, the old ways of doing things, we'll be able to continue, but we won't be able to see what Jesus truly desires. The joy and work accomplished by God through us, the lightness and peace that comes with that type of labor, our main work and our striving has to be focused in remaining in him. That's the dif difference. We're gonna talk about the foundation and spoiler alert, the foundation is that God loves us no matter what. He is utterly committed to us. If you have trusted in Jesus, if you have received him, his forgiveness and his life and his lordship, he is utterly committed to you. And our striving cannot be to earn his favor. It cannot be to produce a different type of person that he's gonna be pleased with. We cannot start there. Our striving and our work has to be focused on remaining in him, making our home in him. 
we don't drift along in life and remain in his love. Because we live in a world ruled by an enemy, we live with our flesh, we'll always drift away from Jesus. We'll always drift away. We won't drift towards abiding. I was talking to my mom about these things because we want the list and what's, what's cool about it is not only there are some foundational things like the prayer and scripture and community, silence, getting alone with God, they're foundational, but we're all built so differently, so wonderfully different. And so for some of us, music may speak to our souls and bring us into that place of receiving God's love and seeing him and just being so um, just filled with joy about who he is. And some of us, we really need nature and you've got all these different people in all these different ways. And so we feel like we have this list, but if we stop and we ask Jesus, and we're gonna do that tonight, what do I need? You know what I need. What do I need for, for, for me to start to receive your love more and to know it and to know what it actually means to abide in you. And when I was talking to my mom about that, she said something that was really cool. I think there's so many differences there, but one, the one thing that is in common all of those things is it's intentional. They're all intentional. We have to step towards them. And if we don't, we drift away. And it will look like a lot of different things. It can look like indulgence in the flesh or it can look very religious, but as we drift away from abiding in Jesus, the end result is the same every time. It's no fruit, no joy, and no glory to God. But there's really good news. He's made himself completely available to us. The good news of the gospel is Jesus, because he came at Christmas, because he lived the way he lived and because he died the way he died and then he raised the way that he raised, he has removed every obstacle, every obstacle from us being able to live in his love and receive his affection to receive what Randy talked about two weeks ago, that love that Jesus lived in, to think that we could know that same love, to look at how he lived and be like, oh, I would, I would love to be like Jesus. He has no fear of man. He didn't care what people thought about him. <laughs> He, he spoke the truth, and yet at the same time, he was so compassionate. He saw those who were hurting and broken, who had been discarded by the religious rulers of his day, and he drew near to them. And he wasn't afraid of what the, the powerful would do to him. I was just like, I want to be like that. But I can't have that unless I have what Jesus had, which was an abiding relationship ongoing with his heavenly father. He's our model for that. So what we put into place in our life and these things that we structure in our life have to be centered around receiving from him. There are ways we can step into prayer or scripture or community that is not about drawing near to the Lord to behold his beauty and to be transformed by his love. But what he wants to do isn't just change our behavior. He wants to change our affections. He wants to change what we love he wants to shape it and form it so we love what he loves so that we naturally start to do the things that Jesus did, that we're not forced, that, that obedience to him is not a burden or a heavy load, but it feels light and it feels easy. His call to abide, his call for us to abide in his love is to produce that type of life in us. One thing I wanna talk about um, really quickly is that for some of us, either we're in a season 
uh, or we have been in a season or we will be in a season where we feel like we are putting these things into place and into practice. And this reality of receiving God's love and actually knowing it and actually experiencing it as a reality seems so distant and foreign to us. And sometimes we pursue God and we feel we're seeking God and, and we're just getting nothing back. And it feels exhausting and it feels um, like a total burden. And I just wanna say that I don't know why um, God leads us into those times, but those are real times. They're times that feel dry. And, it, and in those times, more than anything, our enemy wants us to say, this is not worth it. Let me just go to what I can taste, touch, feel, and smell. Let me to go to what I can know. And I don't wanna continue to pursue this life of spiritual abiding in Jesus. I'm just tired. And when one of the things I realize in those times is for us that there needs to be a simple trust and belief that even in those times, God is working. And usually God is working in those times in deeper ways than he is in the times where we feel like everything is going great. Usually he's taking roots down deep into us that can happen in no other way than having to go through those seasons. Um, I've talked about this before, but we have a flower bush bed in front of our house. Um, everything we plant in this bed eventually dies. It's inevitable, everything dies. We've planted, we cycled through like five plants, everything dies. So about three months ago, I don't remember what it was, maybe it was a little bit longer than that, I said, this is enough, enough is enough. We got these bushes that were gifted to us and we're gonna plant these bushes in the soil but it's not gonna be this soil. I'm replacing this soil, so I had to go find a gardening place, not Lowe's or Home Depot. I'm talking about a gardening place where I can find a gardening nerd who can tell me what soil to put in this bed. So I found a gardening place, and I found a gardening nerd named Mark, and he was wonderful. And he started to tell me, here's the compost you need. Yes, it's very expensive, but you need it. Here's the topsoil, this is very expensive topsoil. But you also need minerals. You need these minerals in place. <clears throat> and so he started to tell me like, you gotta dig up the soil, you gotta put in the compost, and you gotta mix it with these minerals, and then you gotta put the topsoil on it, and you plant the things in, and then you water it. <clears throat> and it was fall moving into winter, and he, he told me, he looked at me, and he said, now what will happen is you'll plant these bushes in the new soil, <clears throat> and during winter, it'll look like nothing's happening. But what will happen, <clears throat> is the roots will start to grow down deep into the soil because there's nutrients there and there's water flowing into it. And so the roots will actually start to grow more and deeper in the winter. And then when spring comes, you'll start to see life exploding because those roots went down deep. And I said, Mark, why are you preaching at me right now? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm trying to sell you expensive soil. <clears throat> and I said, sold, I'll take the soil. Um, because it can be so hard in those times to feel like nothing's happening. But Jesus, in his kindness, because he's our shepherd, is taking our roots down deep into him. So at the right time, at his timing, as we wait on him, as we remain in him, we will see what he promises. We will see life. We will see fruit. He's promising fruit. And so many of us long for fruit, and it's like, I feel like I'm not in a season where there's fruit. But his call is to, to stay with him. Don't run off. Don't move away. Stay with him. And at the right time, you'll see what you long for. Now, there's one last thing that we see really clearly that Jesus puts into place in his life. 
from that list that I, I, I put out, and it's my least favorite thing to talk about. It's the least favorite thing that I like Jesus to talk to me about. I mean, move to the next slide, Austin. It's obedience. It's inconvenient. I don't like it, but unfortunately, we have to read John 15, 9 through 10. If you do have your Bibles, I think it would be good to look at it, or on the screen. That's perfect as well. John 15, 9 through 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I'm going to stop there for a second. Jesus abiding in the Father's love. He gives the same thing away to us. He's giving us that same love that he knows. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is a hard one for me because we, my tendency in my life with my walk with God is to go to shame and I feel like I'm not producing enough, I'm not doing enough, he's disappointed with me. What Jesus is saying in these words, if you keep my commands like I have kept my Father's commands, you will abide in my love. He's saying, my love, the love that I have from the Father is available to you. And when you trust me, when you obey, when you step into the things that I'm calling you to and you obey my commands, you will start to taste and know that love. He is not saying our obedience produces his love or our obedience earns his love. He's saying his love is available. And every time when we step away from surrender and obedience to Jesus, we find the lack of our ability to live in the love of God. I can say so many times in my life, I've, I've realized that it's like, ah, oh, I want more intimacy with Jesus. I wanna know his love, I wanna live in that. But if, I'm, but if I'm being honest, the reality is I'm not willing to obey him. I want the, the deeper, but I don't, wanna, I don't wanna step into the things he's calling me to. And I realize our attempts um, to abide in God's love for us without willingness to obey always causes frustration and no intimacy. It always causes frustration and, and no intimacy. And so this call of Jesus to obey him like he obeyed the Father, again, is not giving us standing before God. It's his invitation for us to know the same type of love that he knew. And in fact, the verse right after it, if you'll read it, we can see why Jesus said this. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So he knew the joy of living in the love of his father and a core piece of that Jesus is telling us in this John 15 passage where he's talking about abiding is obedience. It's an inconvenient truth for me, but it stands and I, it stands in scripture and it stands in my own personal experience every time I'm unwilling to obey I want that closeness, I want that nearness. But he knows that I can't have that with him if I'm unwilling to surrender to his lordship and his will. But what's great is to know the context of this call. Jesus is about to leave the earth and he's talking to his disciples and he's telling them in, in chapter 14, the Holy Spirit is coming. And he's telling me to abide in him and he's telling him in chapter 16, the Holy Spirit's coming. And sandwiched there is this call to abide. And these are his disciples. These are his people. 
He's utterly committed to them. And we know through the fullness of the gospel that God gives these amazing metaphors and analogies for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who have trusted Jesus. He says we're his children, a father and a child. He says we're his bride, a husband and his wife. He says we're his sheep, a shepherd and his sheep. These are metaphors of total commitment. If I told you that I knew somebody that had stolen money from me, vandalized my house and slapped me in the face, you would wonder, is there a restraining order? What's going on there? And if I told you it was my son, I would be telling you the truth. Now the slap was three years old, so give him a break. If you've never been slapped by a three-year-old in the face, you're not living. But those things are a reality. If there's no restraining order, I would die for him. I love him. I am utterly and forever committed to him for the rest of his life. And for those of us in Jesus, that's the same. His love for us stands right here and now. And his call for us to step into knowing that love and experiencing that love is just saying, this is available. My heart is that my joy would be in you, your joy would be full, and the Father and I's desire is that fruit would start to explode from your life. And we're just telling you, I'm telling you, this comes from abiding in me. I, um, <clears throat> I feel like, um, I don't know whether it was, um, this is honesty time from the stage, it's real fun. Um, I feel like from November to the past few weeks, um, it's been a, just a, in general, very hard time for me. Um, a combination of sickness and stress and worry um, moved me into a place where all these things that I'm talking to you about, I've tasted and I know that God answers um, and that he, he shows up when we trust him in these ways. But this past month, I've just, I've experienced this, this draw away where I have been experiencing the symptoms of like deep anxiety and carrying things and the things that I normally put in place in my life to step closer and to, and, to, and to draw near to Jesus weren't there, mainly filling my life with a lot of distraction, with a lot of phone, with a lot of things that may, may seem benign, but a lot of things that are not putting me in the places like, like that windmill sitting in an open field ready to receive from the Lord. It's not, it's not up. The sails weren't up. And I felt the weight of it. I felt felt the consequences of it. I felt the lack of intimacy. And one of the beautiful things that God showed me through this and even thinking about preparing for this sermon is um, the beauty and the simplicity of his, for his people of repentance. The simple turning back to Jesus. I think about it as he invites us into this life with him that he calls us onto this path. Even Jesus talks about it as a, as a narrow path. And narrow is the way that leads to life. And wide and easy is the path that leads to destruction. But that narrow path, very importantly, is a path where you're with him. He is on that path with you. And I, and I see this image of just stepping off that path, walking away from my parents, getting my head stuck in the Dumbo rails, whatever it is, whatever helps you. Um, and, and I know that I'm not in the place of receiving and abiding in the love of God and I'm not seeing the fruit that comes from that. And he helped me to remember the simplicity of repentance, the beauty of it, of just turning to him. Just turning back to him. 
And even more than that, how amazing Jesus is because he gives us this analogy in Matthew and Luke where he says, if a shepherd has 99 sheep, as a, if, and if one leaves, if you have 100 sheep, one leaves, won't he go find the one sheep? Won't he leave the 99 and go find that one sheep, put it on his shoulder and come back to you? It's not just that Jesus is waiting for me to return to him. He is pursuing us, even when we run from him, even when we turn as, as his kids, even as we start to drift away. Jesus isn't standing back nonchalant or indifferent. He is actually pursuing you. He is pursuing you in his desire, his heart, is that you come back to know his love, that you learn to obey him so that we can know the joy that's found in that. We can know the abiding peace and presence of Jesus. The music team can come up because what, what I wanna do tonight is first, I just, wanna, I just want us to sit. I want us to sit under a song and I want us to sit with the Lord and first just reflect on this reality that there's a foundation. We can't move forward unless we receive that he loves us no matter what. The foundation is that we, as those who've trusted in Jesus, are already loved. And if you don't know Jesus, if this is not your reality, if this is not your life, his invitation is that you have nothing to bring him but your own sin. It's all you have. And if you know that you need a savior, his invitation for you is come because he's got everything you need. He'll welcome you. You don't clean yourself up. You don't come to him with anything else other than your need. And you read throughout all the gospels, everyone that encountered Jesus in a powerful way only came with their need. They came with their need. So if that's you, come to Jesus, he'll receive you. And for those of us who know Jesus and are walking with God, I think it'd be a good time to reflect on maybe ways that we want more of God, we want that intimacy, but we've been unwilling to yield to him and to surrender to him. And some of the times Jesus is gonna call us to surrender or to obey in some really deeply hard places. Stuff like forgiveness of people that have wronged us in ways that I couldn't even understand in my own life. Things like giving up idols that feel like there's no way I can let go of this. There's just no way. And he's gonna call us to those things. But when the invitation is to abide and to know him, for him to, re to pour his love into our hearts, we can simply come with honesty when those things are really hard and we can simply say, Jesus, I don't want to, but I want you. I don't want to do this. I don't want to, but I do want you. If this is available, if knowing you, if living in the love of the Father like you lived in that same way of a life of peace, a life of joy, a life of patience, a life of gentleness, a life of kindness, a life of power, a life of healing, a life of the kingdom of God being displayed through you, a life where the light steps into the darkness when you step into the darkness. If you want that, he's inviting us into it. And we can simply say, what, what, what is it, Lord? What is it? I wanna open up, I wanna be honest because it doesn't happen all overnight. We step back onto the path of him and he leads us especially in those hard things. He leads us along the way and it may take a long time, but he leads us. And then we can ask and we, and we can sit 
under this reality that we're already loved. The song talks about we're already chosen. We have to receive that. God, help me believe it. And then we can step forward. We say, what, Jesus, are the things I need to put in place in my life so I can start knowing what it means to abide? What are the things that you put into place in your life that I need more of? How have you made me uniquely that you would like to to lead me into? He's so gentle and he's so patient. He's so kind with us. He's amazing. He's, He's always, whenever I get a glimpse, it's always, he's always better than I thought. In our, in our biggest issues, we need to see him. We need to see him. And so he'll lead us in those places and he'll help us walk and move towards that. And we just have to ask him. First we sit under, he's loved us and he's providing everything. The song talks about the, the name of God, Jireh, Jehovah Jireh. It means he's provided everything. Again, we don't bring him anything. He's provided everything. Whatever worries, cares we're carrying in our life, he's taking care of everything. And what he wants most for us is to know his love and to live from that place. I'm gonna pray and then Monica's gonna sing this song over us. Just sit, receive the words of the song and talk to Jesus. The prayer team is gonna be at the four corners um, of the room. So if you need prayer, just immediately go up and get prayer. If you know like, I need to go get prayer with someone, do it. Um, and if you just need to sit with Jesus, just sit there. Monica's gonna sing the song over us and we're just gonna respond to the Lord in this time. Father, thank you um, that what you brought to earth was not um, just practical advice and tips on how to live better, but you brought your very life from heaven to earth into my brokenness, into my sin, into my wandering. And you come and you pursue me and you invite me to live in that love and to know it, the sweetness, the lightness of it, the peace of it. And so many of us, we want it. And I just ask simply that you help us believe it where there's just doubt in this room. In the name of Jesus, will you speak clearly tonight? Will you help us believe that you actually have this available and where we feel lacking, where we feel like that's, that's just not my reality. Will you, will you just speak tenderly to us tonight? Will you lead us and will you speak your love over us? But you also invite us into practical steps. You also give us simple things to step into. We invite you to speak, Holy Spirit, come. Move in this time, speak in this time. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.